Let us pray. God, we come to you in this time. We are grateful of your word, grateful of its truth, and ask that you would help us to understand, to apply, to live out what you teach us today. And so bless us, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. And so we have our book of Acts. We're almost to the end. We are going to finish at the end of June. We have just this chapter and four more to get through. And so we're following all that's going on, but we remember our theme verse. Let's read that together. Remember, whenever you see yellow, please read with me. And so we say, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus gives us these words, gives us this promise, gives us this challenge to be his witnesses throughout the world. So I want you to picture for a moment that you have fallen in the mud and you are all muddy. And so my question to you is this. How long will you wait to clean yourself off? Will you get in your car and drive home? And will you sit on the couch and watch TV for a while? Maybe lay in your bed and sleep? My guess is that you will clean the mud off as quickly as possible. That you will do none of those things that I just mentioned because you don't want to get your car dirty. You don't want to get your couch dirty. You don't get your bed muddy, right? You want to remove that mud from your very being. But think about this for a moment. How often do we walk around in our life with our sin and our guilt that dirties us and we drive our cars and we sleep in our beds and we sit on our couches and in essence we are getting those things dirty with our sin and our guilt and we don't wash ourselves off of that sin and guilt, which is foolish because we are given a great promise by God. Read the yellow with me. It says, if we confess our sins, then he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We're told this from 1 John 1.9. And so today we're going to talk about how Paul can claim to live his life with a clear conscience, that he doesn't walk around in guilt and in sin, but because of this promise, he has forgiveness and cleansing and a freedom of conscience. Now, I want you to imagine again that I start teaching false doctrines. Somehow I get in love with the law, and I think, oh, the law is so wonderful. We need to live according to the law. And I start trying really hard to live the law and be the best person I can be. And, and I tell you, you need to live by the law. And I try to make you feel guilty every time you don't live by the law. And I, I become this Pharisee about it, right? I think this is the way that we are saved, by doing right things. And that becomes my teaching. And then right around the corner, just in another building over here, another pastor in another church moves in, and he starts teaching about Jesus, and he starts teaching about grace and love and forgiveness. And some people start to leave our church and go to this other church. And I get mad. I get angry at this pastor. I get jealous of this pastor. And so I make up false charges against him and I take him to court. This is what's going on with Paul. The Pharisees were living according to the law, thinking themselves better 
Because on the outside, they appeared to be so wonderful, so perfect, and the, the people honored them. But then Paul comes along, and he starts teaching about Jesus and salvation and forgiveness and God's grace. And the Pharisees get angry, and they get jealous as the people are leaving and following Paul, and they bring up false charges against Paul. And then we have the high priest Ananias and a, and a lawyer named Tertullus who come down to Jerusalem, and they start to make their case against Paul as well. Read the yellow with me. Acts 24, 5-6 says, We have found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple, so we seized him. They call Paul a troublemaker, a ringleader. They say that he stirs up riots and that he's desecrating the temple. You know, if you ever want to get someone to believe something that is false, the best way to do that is to put a little truth into your false statement. Right? You put a little truth into the false statement, and someone hears it and says, well, it kind of sounds true, but it's different than what I thought is true. Because that little bit of truth kind of draws people in to what you are saying, what you're trying to get people to believe. So it's true that... In essence, Paul was a ringleader of sorts, right? Because people were following him. And it's partly true that he was stirring up riots because as he was teaching, people were getting angry with him and they were causing riots to occur. So there's a little bit of truth going on there. But he does not claim to be a ringleader. He claims Christ to be the leader, Christ to be the head of the church. He does not seek to start riots. He's just preaching about salvation and God's grace and God's peace. See, we have to see this happen in the world all the time, don't we? People make false claims against others to get their way. We see that people blur the truth by mixing in a little bit of truth with their lies. We see this in religion as well, right? I mean, the Mormons call themselves the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They put Jesus Christ in their name to try to make it sound right. But the Jesus they believe in is not the Jesus of the Bible. And then you have the Jehovah's Witness. They use the word Jehovah, God's Hebrew name in the Old Testament. And they talk about how, but they talk about how you have to live up to the works, do right and good things, and that's how you get saved. And so they, they bring in little bits of truth to try to get you to come to what actually is a wrong conclusion. When seeking the truth, it's always best to go to the source of the truth, to go to the Bible. And in Paul's case, the source of the truth is his own testimony, right? See, it's interesting that Paul's accusers said this in verse 8. They said this, by examining him, Paul, yourself, you will be able to what? Learn the truth about all these charges we are bringing against him. I mean, they're basically saying, when you talk to Paul, all the things we're saying, he'll say too. That's crazy. Paul's not going to tell them that he's a ringleader. He's not going to tell them that he's desecrating the temple. In fact, the scripture reading we heard, and when I reread it, you'll see that he is not speaking this. But they say, when, when you, Felix, governor, when you interview Paul, you'll see that... To learn the truth about all that we are saying. 
As we've been following Paul in the book of Acts, we've seen last week a few of the truths that he had been teaching, right? He's going around and teaching about people that they're lost, that they are sinners, that they, they can't do it on their own, that they are believing in wrong things. See, the truth that Paul speaks is a truth that we need to share as well, more truth that I want to talk to you about here in a moment, that God loves people, that God has a plan for people, that, God, that Jesus Christ died for their sins, and in Christ, people are saved and have hope and can receive joy, which is better than happiness. Verse 8 talks about the finding, about finding out the truth of what Paul is teaching. So let's talk about those truths a little bit more. When, when you look at Paul's teaching, if he taught about anything, he talked about God's love experienced through God's grace. I mean, he, he experienced amazing grace from God, didn't he? And he talks about this often. And so he, he understands that as he talks about that, and people come to realize, hey, I'm not perfect. I do wrong things. And as people realize, I can't live up to doing enough good things to earn my way to heaven. As people begin to come to this realization, they realize that they need something more. They need a Savior. They need someone that can take them into heaven, and that is Jesus. The wonderful and unconditional of love that comes to them through Jesus Christ, even in the midst of their wrongdoings. There's nothing more powerful than being loved for just who you are. That is a powerful gift. If someone loves you for just who you are, that is wonderful. I've had many situations. I remember back to my dating days, and there would be times when I'm dating someone, and you're getting close in the relationship, and then you realize that they just want something out of you, right? They don't really love you for who you are. They just want to get something out of you, whatever that is. And that's really hurtful. I've had person after person come to church and and try to get close to me only to find out they just wanted something from me. They wanted me to give them money or they wanted me to to get them help or they just got close to me so that I can give them what they wanted. There's nothing more hurtful than being used by another person, by being loved in a conditional way. So when we discover that God's love is unconditional, it's a wonderful truth, a freeing truth, a life-giving truth, a a comforting truth, it is truly a blessing. We're told in Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Meaning that while we were in our sin, we weren't even able to reciprocate the love of God. But God didn't love us for what we could do. God loves us because we are his creation. He loves us so much that he died for us. A second important truth that Paul spoke of regularly was that God has a plan for them. Romans 12, 2, Paul says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, But be transformed, when you become a Christian, when you receive Christ, Christ can transform you. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, changing your thoughts, thinking in a different way that Christ can help you do. And read with me. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. When we accept Jesus, 
as our Savior and as our Lord. We are guided by Him. We are led by Him. He becomes the ruler of our life. He helps us to make better choices. He helps us to understand what needs to happen in our life. We begin to understand that God has a plan, a will for our life. Before I became a Christian, every decision I made was about me and was for me. The decisions, the choices I made were very selfish and sinful. It wasn't until I received Christ and turned my sinful thoughts over to him that I realized that he had something better for me. That something better was for me to, to be a minister of the gospel. That something better for me was to tell people about Jesus. That something better for me was to help people understand how they could have a deep relationship with this unconditional loving God. That something for me was to be able to help people grow in their faith and have a meaningful and wonderful life, have purpose for their life. This is a truth we must pass on, that God has a plan, that God has a will for our lives. And when we're in that plan, when we're in that will, then life is much better, much more meaningful, much more fruitful. A third truth, truth that Paul spoke of regularly was that Jesus died for their sins, and through Christ there was forgiveness, and their, their guilt could be removed and filled with the peace of God. I've met so many people who are living with the, the guilt of their past. They can't get past their past. It weighs down on them. It burdens them. Maybe it's a, a relationship that went bad or decisions that they made that brought great trouble into their life, wrongs that they have regularly done. They, they, they can't forget them. They can't, they can't get, go forward. They can't move because it just weighs them down. And they just think about it, and it burdens them. It handcuffs them and keeps them from being able to move forward and experiencing peace in life. What if you were talking to a doctor, and the doctor told you that you had this disease, and that if you didn't treat this disease, then you would die? But then he told you some good news. He says, but there's a simple surgery that can be done and this surgery will cure you, will heal you, and you will be able to live a long life. How long would it take for you to make the decision to have that surgery? And then you're healed, and, and you're so grateful for the healing. But what if you said no to the surgery? What if you said no? Why would you say no? See, we have this condition, this disease, if you will, it's called sin. And not treated, this disease will kill us, will keep us out of heaven. But God says, but I have this simple surgery for you. That is, just have faith in Christ. Confess your sins, and he'll forgive you, and he'll cleanse you, and he'll remove that sin, and he'll remove that guilt, and he'll put his peace within you. Wouldn't you want to say yes to that? Romans 6.23, Paul says, For the wages, the penalty of our sin is death, eternal death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In faith 
In confession, we have forgiveness. We have been given new life. What a gift. Our guilt is replaced with peace. The conditional love we experience is, is, is replaced with unconditional love from God. This truth needs to be received. This truth needs to be shared. That is our witness that we are called to be. And when we talk about being a witness in Acts 1.8, that is the witness. The last truth that Paul teaches and that I want to talk about is that joy is better than happiness. Now, I've talked about this before, that happiness comes when, when good things happen in our life and, and we're happy, right? Grad, our, our children graduate and we're happy, right? Yay, they, they graduated from college. But then something bad happens and then we're not happy, right? Our happiness depends on the circumstances in our life. But joy is something that is constant. Joy is a gift from God, a gift of the Holy Spirit. Joy comes to us because God is there to comfort us and strengthen us and guide us and to work things out for the good. We have joy constantly because of God's presence and power working in through our lives. I've heard story after story of people dealing with difficult circumstances which the Lord turned into something good. Maybe they lost a child, but then somehow they, they got involved in a ministry that, that blessed children. Remember, we've heard the, the story of Tamara John, preached here a couple of times. She became a Christian, and because she became a Christian, her husband left her and divorced her, and she had nothing but then God led her to this RV park where she started a ministry where she now ministers to people who are going through these same kind of hardships and sufferings. And God has filled her life with joy. Chapter after chapter in the book of Acts, we have seen the hardships and the sufferings that Paul has gone through, and yet he is one that talks about joy, that he is filled with joy. He says in Philippians 3, 10 to 11, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. He talks about his sufferings, but how knowing Christ is greater than any sufferings he goes through. And then he continues in verses 13 to 14, he says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself having yet taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul knows there is a prize greater than anything he can experience here on this earth. The prize is heaven. The prize is eternity with God in his very presence, in his very love. Paul says, you know, I, I can't wait to get to heaven. But I know God has a work for me here on earth. And while I'm here, I'm going to be his faithful servant. And I'm going to experience joy because I know I'm serving the Lord. These are the things that Paul was sharing in his teaching, in his preaching, in his testimony. The things we need to hear, the things we need to really hold on to in our own lives. But finally, we get into the chapter where Paul gets to come before Felix, and he gets to talk himself, give his own um, statement of, uh, 
of what is true. He says, you can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogue or anywhere else in the city. And they cannot prove to you the charges they are now making against me. Remember, they say, when Paul speaks, you'll, you'll see. He'll, he'll tell you. <laughs> and Paul says, they can't prove these charges. These are trumped-up charges. These are false charges. These are not true, what they're saying about me. He wasn't attempting to stir up the crowd or, or anyone else or anywhere else. He wasn't desecrating the temple. He was teaching about Jesus and salvation. He was trying to help the people understand what was true about God, how God understood our sinful state and how through Christ's death and resurrection, he brought life. He brought grace. He brought hope. He brought peace to all who believe and are saved. He then talks about in verse 16, he says, So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. He talks about living with a clear conscience. How can he do that? Well, first think about a moment of what gives you or what causes you not to have a clear conscience. Well, maybe you've done something wrong and you're hiding it, right? And so you feel guilt over that. Or maybe you've deceived someone and you don't want to admit what you have done. Or maybe there's unconfessed sin in your life and you're holding on to that unconfessed sin and it's bringing about guilt in your life. And you don't live your life with a clear conscience because these things are there and you can't get rid of them on your own. But Paul says, I have reasons to live with a clear conscience. First, I'm forgiven in my sins. How wonderful that is, he says. Second, I am saved in Christ and given this amazing freedom in Christ. Third, I am living out the will of God. I know who I am. I know what I'm supposed to do. I understand my purpose. I understand why God created me, and I'm living it out. Fourth, I'm speaking the truth in love. I'm one who just is spreading love, the love of God. Fifth, I'm trying to bring peace and love and joy to people. For these reasons and more, Paul lives with a clear conscience. Do you live with a clear conscience? See, that's what people long for. We long to have peace in our life. We long to be rid of our guilt. We long to live with a clear conscience, and we can. Paul says we can live as he lives, with a clear conscience. Now, he goes on to admit that he did cause a little stir, and the reason why he caused a stir was because he talked about the resurrection. You have the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day, they didn't agree on the resurrection. And Paul talks about how both the, the Christians and the non-Christians, the believers and the non-believers, will all be resurrected at our time of death or at the the end times, and we'll all be resurrected and find our place before God. And those who have Christ will be received into heaven, and those who do not have Christ will not be received in. And so he talked about the resurrection, and they had differences of opinion, and it caused a stir, a great stir. It caused an argument between all the religious leaders. Why? Because they were not 
tied in to the truth of God's word. They did not hear the teachings of Jesus, and so they did not understand clearly what the resurrection was about. You know, what the, probably the main reason why our church left our former denomination, PCOSA, and went to our current denomination, ECO, was because of a difference of opinion of understanding the Scripture. Even understanding that the Bible, the Scripture, was the main authority by which we were to live, which governed our lives, and that Jesus himself was indeed resurrected, and that in Christ we too have resurrection and eternal life. When you follow the teachings of the Bible, you will come upon the truth of God. And that's how Paul lived his life, and that's how Paul preached and teached and proclaimed. That's how we need to live our life. The story of a businessman who was walking down this dock one day, and he came upon a man just sitting there fishing. His pole was just there, lying in the water. The businessman decided to have a little conversation with him. He says, doesn't look like you're going to catch much fish this way. And the fisherman said, that's true, but why is that important? And the business said, well, now if you caught some fish, you could sell the fish, you could make a little money, then you could buy a boat. You go out and you could fish, and you could catch more of the fish and make more money. And the fisherman said, well, then what would my reward be? He said, well, you can make even more money and get more boats and catch more fish. And the fisherman decided to go along with it. He said, well, then what would my reward be? At this point, the businessman was getting a little frustrated with how the conversation was going. He said, don't you understand? You could have so much money that you could retire. And you would have not a care or a worry in the world. You could relax all the time. And the fisherman said, what do you think I'm doing now? See, the businessman had a totally different perspective in mind, didn't he? His goals were totally different. His goals were about making money, right, and being rich. And the fisherman was like, hey, I'm relaxing. I'm enjoying life. I'm at peace in my life, right? And so often people have the wrong goals in their life. They're searching to make more money. They're searching to have these perfect relationships. They're searching to find happiness. And happiness is so fleeting. They're searching to find peace their life, but true peace and happiness and fulfillment only comes when we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, when he is our Savior and he is our Lord, when he's guiding our life, when he's giving us direction, when we are in his will, living the life he created us to live with purpose and meaning. And so I pray that we could understand this. When we do, when we have this in our life, we will find the joy and peace of the Lord and we will be able to live our life with a clear conscience. Let us pray.